I'm explaining. I'm not excusing or making excuses. I'm just explaining. Uh, the Lord has complete control over these meetings. And uh, at various times he gives different amounts of specific direction. Uh, I had a general idea of what was going to happen in the day sessions and the evening sessions. But there is such a shifting of what we did last night. There were people that came in today. Now there's a new people here tonight. Now, that's great, wonderful. And uh, I don't want to misquote something, but last night and today's session was viewed 16,000 times live. So I don't know what all that shifting's about. There were 35,000 different sign-ons and 16,000 of them made it through most of it according to our data deals. And I'm only saying that to you to let you know that there is, there's a, in the spirit there's a shifting. At each session there's just a shifting and what I thought we were going to do almost exclusively tonight. Uh, I, I'm, we'll get to it, but I, I'm going to have to teach uh, here at the first, and I'm going to do something different for me in these sessions. Most of this first part is going to be reading scriptures with some comments. And... Uh, I've got notes, if you call scriptures printed out notes with no real comments on the page. And I've done that so I don't have to flip. Normally, I only I don't like to have that written out. So by the time we get it on the screen or whatever, you've had a chance to process it. But I don't have time for that tonight. And... Uh, Whoever, I don't know, can't see, whoever's operating the computer has the list that I may or may not use. So hopefully that will give them a chance to at least um, have some semblance of Scripture in front of you. I I feel compelled to go back to the general principle of last night to start with. There are, there are things in the biblical harvest cycle that the Lord has chosen to use as the pattern for the work of the church in the earth in relationship to fulfilling his commandments to reach the lost. There are parts of that that man does by God's empowerment and then there are parts of it man doesn't have any involvement in. Man can't make it rain. Man can't make seeds grow. And the early rain and the seed sowing, I mean the seed growing and the latter rain, 
those things are totally dependent upon God. And no amount of program, no amount of intellectualism, no amount of whatever can make it rain or can make the seed grow. Some sow some water, but or God gives the increase. God is the only one that makes the seed grow. There is nothing that man or churchianity can do to make the seed grow. But man's involvement with God is such, as I said last night, nothing grows without water. As long as you've got light, no matter how cloudy it is, crops will grow. It doesn't need direct sunlight. Most most uh, crops don't. They just need light, and they need warmth where it doesn't freeze them to death. And they've got to have water. You've got to have water to grow crops. All of that's pretty simple, straightforward. Everybody knows that. The problem is the Lord gives or withholds the rain, the spiritual rain, based on the spiritual condition of his people. Now, man has learned how to get around God. It's called irrigation. So man builds reservoirs where there were no lakes. And he pumps that water that he stored through man-made devices to get water to irrigate property so that they don't have to trust God. And there are some churches that have bypassed God only in their own minds. So, if we're where we are supposed to be with God in, in our, in our forgiven condition, in our forgiving of others, and in our commitment and dedication and relationship with Him, it's going to rain. When he promised rain, it's going to rain. If when it's put, when it's time for rain, if it's not raining spiritually, there's problem. So there needs to be repentance. True revival. Not a series of services with an itinerant minister. But revival. Real revival. Where the people come back from the spiritual dead. And so that's got to take place. And then when, when, when we reach that place of acceptance with God, God responds with rain. If I shut up heaven, that there be no rain. If I command the locusts to devour the, devour the land. If I send pestilence among my people. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Well, the the statement heal their land automatically implies rain. Because the land can't get healed without it raining. The land can't become fruitful again without it raining. And here I am. I got all these scriptures and I, I'm not using one that's in here right now, of course. 
<laughs> he loves to do this to me, in which it gets funny after a while, I guess. But uh, when he says, if my people, which are called by my name, that kind of identifies who he's talking to, will humble themselves. That's not what we think humility is. There's another phrase, place in the Bible where that exact phrase is used. First Peter chapter 5. God resisteth the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. So when he says, if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves, he's not talking about getting in the dirt and spreading dust all over you. He's talking about giving up your self-sufficiency and trusting God to be in charge of your life. So this is the rain. Here, here are some very, very key verses in this whole process. I uh, quoted this one last night, Genesis eight twenty two. While the earth remaineth, the Lord promised Noah, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. And uh, let me say the obvious. Seed time and harvest are not the same time. You don't invite somebody to church today and then get the Holy Ghost today. It may happen. But that's not the normal process. The only way that happens is if somebody has sown some kind of seed of faith and it's been growing there a while and you just stepped in and reaped it, you didn't plant anything. Psalms 126 verse 5, They that sow in tears... Shall reap in joy. We'll talk about this on Friday and practice that Friday night. I'll explain what that is then. He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall hopefully, maybe, perchance, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. This is a guarantee. If you do what you think you're supposed to be doing and nothing's happening, you're missing something. God has guaranteed this. He's guaranteed there's not only going to be a seed time, He's guaranteed there's going to be a harvest. That means there's going to be results. If there are no results, something is wrong. James 5 and 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. So these things that I'm talking about here are directly connected to the coming of the Lord. Well, as bad as the world is, why hasn't he come yet? Because... The early and latter rain he's looking for hasn't happened yet. Because if it had happened, we wouldn't be sitting here. Finally, Jeremiah 5.23, But this people hath a revolting and rebellious heart. They were revolted and gone. Listen now. 
Neither say they in their heart. Let me tell you how bad off they are spiritually, the Lord said. Because this is, this is what they don't pray. Because if they would pray this, I would do this. Neither say they are in their heart. Let us now fear the Lord our God that giveth rain, both the former and the latter in his season. He reserveth unto us the appointed weeks of harvest. So if we prayed, we would receive what he's guaranteed. If we prayed what he once prayed, from the perspective we're supposed to pray it. Now, I got this problem, and a lot of folks struggle with it. I got really simple, childlike faith. I read these statements, and it never crosses my mind to question whether or not they will happen. Literally. Literally, it never crosses my mind to question that. And it shocks me when I come across somebody that claims supposed to be filled with the Holy Ghost and, and a child of God, and they're just not sure it's going to happen like he said. Well, you and I must not know the same Jesus because he is the Word. And if I can't trust his Word, I don't trust him. Oh, Hello? You can't separate him from the word. And if you can't trust the word, you don't trust Jesus. And if you trust Jesus, you trust his word. And he said, except you become as little children, you can't inherit the kingdom of God. And what does a little child do? A child takes the word of his dad at face value. You don't ever promise a kid something. Because he'll drive you to death. Drive you crazy. Reminding you what you said. Isn't it amazing? That's exactly how faith works. Is as his child repeating to him. Confessing to him that I believe what he said was going to happen would happen. Okay. Let's listen to the new covenant promises. Ezekiel 36, 25. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Will I cleanse you? A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. And, okay, we're done. That's it. That, there's nothing else important here that's a part of the new covenant to read. Surely not. We could quit there, right? We all got the Holy Ghost, so we got the New Covenant. There's nothing else left here important, is there? Well, I tell you what, just in case, let's read. Verse 28. And you shall dwell in the land that I shall give your fathers. You shall be my people, I'll be your God. And I will also save you from out of, from all your uncleanness, and I will call you, call for the corn and will increase it. That's wheat. 
what what we call corn was it's not what they call corn it was the grains the kernels of wheat and I will call for the corn and will increase it and lay no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit of the trees and the increase of the field that you receive no more reproach of famine among the heathen. Because in the midst of the heathen, if the people of God are not having anything miraculous happening and people are not being saved, we're reproached before God among the heathen. I didn't write it. Then shall you remember your own evil ways and your doings that were not good and shall load yourselves in your own sight with, for your iniquities and for your abominations. Not for your sakes do I this. <clears throat> oh, beloved Pentecostals, I hope, I wish you could hear this and take this to heart. All that promises God's promise to do He's not going to do it because you did enough to earn it or deserve it. He's not doing this for your sake. He's doing this for his own sake. Because he's the one that planned all this. He's doing this for his sake. Not for your sakes do I this, saith the Lord God. Be it known unto you, be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord God, in the day that I shall have cleansed you from all your iniquities, I will also cause you to dwell in the cities, and the waste shall be builded, and the desolate land shall be tilled. Whereas if they lay desolate in the sight of all that passed by, and they shall say this land that was desolate, it it is become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste and desolate and ruined cities are become fenced and inhabited. Then the heathen that are left round about shall know that the Lord, that I the Lord build the ruined places. And plant that which was desolate. I the Lord have spoken it and I will do it. He, he said he was going to do all this for his own glory. I got a question. How much glory is he getting where you're from? Thus saith the Lord God. This verse. Thus saith the Lord God. I will yet, I will yet for this be inquired of by the house of Israel to do it for them. I will increase them with men like a flock. Now, if that's not happening, I must not be praying the way he's expecting me to pray. Because I'm waiting on the house of Israel to inquire of me in a manner that's acceptable to me because I'm waiting to do this, but because I'm bound by my own plan. I can't do this till they fulfill my plan my way, which then releases me to do what I plan to do. And if I'm not doing what I promise to do, it's not that they're waiting on me. I'm waiting on them to do it my way. You know the problem with this? It eliminates all of our excuses. 
Because it's not God that's the problem. Oh, wait. Thus saith the Lord God, I will yet for this, uh, I'm waiting on the house of Israel to do this so that I can increase them men like flock. They're going to have built, they're going to build better buildings that are prettier and more attractive and they're going to preach more eloquent sermons and they're going to sing and play with professionalism. And when they do that, I'll be able to give them men like a flock. It, that must be what it says because there's way too many churches. That's what they're doing. Here I, here's, here's my, here's the conflict some of you are having with my childlike faith. That's not what it says. It, it, get this one. Here is the arrogance of our day. Now, brother Wright. We all know that was a different day and time. And we all know that those old-fashioned ways just don't work today. So we all know that we need to come up with something that is just a little more modern. Because God has gotten old and he must be senile because he doesn't know how to reach this generation. So we're improving on God. We're showing God how to get it done. That's called sarcasm. Just in case you thought it was an accident. Verse 37 again, Thus saith the Lord God, I will yet for this be inquired of by the house of Israel to do it for them. I will increase them with men like a flock. And as the, as, as the holy flock, as the flock of Jerusalem in her solemn feast, so shall the waste cities be filled with flocks of men. And they shall know that I am the Lord. I, I, I did a little research on that and, and he's, the, the several of scholars says what he's talking about here is in those high holy days, when all those thousands of animals were being offered on the altar of sacrifice in the temple, the streets would be jam-packed with sheep and oxen. You, there was no way to get through because when you're, when you're sacrificing thousands of sheep, there's not room in those streets. And so those streets were jam-packed with sheep waiting to be sacrificed. And the Lord used that visual image as the example of what he planned to do. I'm going to fill them with men like a flock, just like the streets of my holy city are filled on the day of those great sacrifices where the streets are jam-packed with people. Is that working out for you? Real quickly, just a couple of verses that tell how great rain is a blessing and how much the Lord identifies, identifies rain as a blessing. Hebrews 6 verse 7 says, For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it, and bringeth forth herbs, meat for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. Rain is the blessing of God. 
But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected, and it's nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. Isaiah 55, verse 10. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater. So shall my word be, that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. So if there's rhema being heard, and rhema being spoken, then there are spiritual results taking place. And if there are no spiritual results taking place, then rhema's not being heard, and rhema's not being spoken. Because rhema can't fail. Rhema cannot fail. Verse 11 again. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you in the singing, and all the trees of the fields shall clap their hands. Mankind and its carnal society may not be happy, But the Word of God says when the people of God get aligned with God so that He can fulfill His promises, all creation rejoices. Instead of the thorns shall come up the fir tree. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. How about where we focused last year? Call to war. Joel 2.15. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify fast, call a solemn assembly together, the people sanctify the congregation. Assemble the others, gather the children, those that suck the breast, let the bridegroom, bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare thy people, O Lord. Give not thine heritage to reproach, and let that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, where is their God? If we do that, doesn't that sound like repentance? Doesn't that sound like revival that's a product of repentance? If we do that, here's what will happen. Then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto his people, Behold, I will send you corn, that's wheat, and wine and oil, and ye shall be satisfied therewith. And I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen, but I will remove far off from you the northern army and drive him into a land barren desolate with his face toward the east sea and hinder part toward the utmost sea. And his stink shall come up and his ill saber shall come up because he hath done great things. Fear not, O land. Be glad, rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring, for the tree beareth her fruit, the fig tree and the vine do yield her st- their strength. Be glad, then, ye children of Zion, rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately. And he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, the latter rain, the first month. And the floors, that's the threshing floors, shall be full of wheat. And the fats shall overflow with wine and oil. Where 
where is this at today? Tell me where this is happening. Oh, but if you hear some people tell, oh, praise God, we're having revival. Boy, you've got pretty low standards in faith, don't you? If what's happening right now is really what God's promised. I'm not, the, the heaven or Joseph's over one sinner that repents. I thank God for every person that's, that's getting saved. It's being forgiven of their sins and finding a true relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ by the baptism of the Holy Ghost and having the name of Jesus put on them in water baptism. I thank God for every bit of that. But that's not exactly helping seven and a half billion people. And you'll have to forgive me if while I am thankful and thrilled over one, I can't get out of my head the command to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And one getting saved doesn't exactly fulfill that. Verse 25, and I will restore to you, restore to you the years of ca- the locust that eaten the canker worm, the caterpillar, and the palm worm, my great army which I sent among you. Uh, what did that just say? That's saying, that if we're not in a spiritual condition, he's got this army that will come and reap, that will consume all of our efforts before we have an opportunity to reap it. To prove that he is judging us, the people of God. He's judging the people of God because they're doing it their way and not his way. And they're following their plan and not his plan. And they're following their traditions and not his word. And so all of the results you're having, he's sending a great army to consume them and destroy it all before it can ever be in your barn. As judgment. I didn't, well, well, you're looking at me. I didn't write that. Hello? Before you get all hopped up with me, get your Bible out and check. See, it's been there when you, you brought it in here with you. We didn't slip it in your Bible when you got here. We don't have any Russian hackers in certain verses into your iPad through our Wi-Fi net. If your book said that when you, says it right now, it said it when you got here. And I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten, the cankerworm, caterpillar, parma worm, my great army which I son among you, and ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. Praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be ashamed. And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God and none else, and my people shall never be ashamed. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit. Upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall have visions, and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids. In those days will I pour out my spirit, which means that all of that that has been said previous to that verse is all in connection with whatever that is that happens when people get the Holy Ghost. So it's not a, all of those things is not a natural promise. All of that is a spiritual promise to the body of Christ. 
because they're the ones that receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So whoever it is that's receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost is the one that has a right to claim all of those promises I just read to you, starting in verse 14. Proverbs, or excuse me, Psalm 65, 9. Thou visitest the earth and waterest it. Thou greatly enrichest it with the river of God, which is full of water. Thou preparest them corn, wheat, when thou hast so provided for it. Thou waterest the ridges thereof abundantly. Thou settest the furrows, which is ground that's been plowed, the furrows thereof. Thou makest it soft with flower, uh, showers, so that the fallow ground is softened so it can be plowed. And the path, thy paths, they drop fatness. They drop down the pastures of the wilderness. And the little hills rejoice on every side. The pastures are clothed with flocks. And the valleys also are covered over with corn. They shout for joy. They also sing. What do we do? We just keep trying to make the same old, same old better. Oh, we're going to have a time of prayer and fasting. What are we praying and fasting for, Pastor? That the Lord will bless our services. Okay. And I'd be happy to participate if you could just show me some verses where it instructs us to pray for God to bless our traditional services. I'd be happy to come first and leave last. If you could just give me some verses where God instructs us to focus on blessing his, our church services. I know, I know, I've, I've been there. When, it, when the word of God, the spirit of God just takes everything you thought you knew and everything you've been doing and crumples it up like a, a piece of garbage and just does a, a three-pointer into the trash can of life. And then you go, what do I do now? Well, let's see. Maybe I go back to the Bible and start with an honest and open heart rather than trying to find stuff to justify what I'm doing and I've always done. Maybe I go back to the Bible and say, okay, now, Lord, you teach us what to do. You teach us how to do it because you've made promises that aren't happening. Now, either you're a liar or a failure or both, or we've missed it somewhere here. I know, I know, I understand. Because when you've built your entire crowd on people who don't want to be committed, they just want to pay their religious obligation dues, if you begin to change, you're going to lose some crowd. Well, you can lose some of the crowd, or you can lose everybody at the judgment. Your choice. (laughs) I was 24. 
1970 when my wife and I came here. I had never pastored before. There was only two things that I had experience doing. I knew how to witness to people and believe that God would save them. And I knew how to pray with people to receive their baptism with the Holy Ghost. I was not an experienced preacher. And uh, I've never been short-winded. And when you're not experienced and you still preach long, it can be brutal sometimes. And especially when there's nobody there but your wife. And uh, I've said this many times. The first, when we finally had a couple of people, it about it saved our marriage because then I had plausible deniability that I wasn't preaching at her. And I was passionate and had vision and faith. And I knew it was going to happen. I didn't know how. I didn't have a clue what to do. But I knew whatever I had to do, that the Lord would lead to do, I'd do it. And uh, I, I was... Uh, Well, let's just put it this way. I was, you think this was strong? This, this is gentle. It was pretty brutal. But it attracted young people, many of whom either didn't have a father or had a very uninvolved father. And I, did, I didn't know what was going on. I never asked to be anybody's dad. I'm 25, 26, 27. I wasn't trying to look for people to adopt. I'm trying to win the loss. I'm trying to do the will of God. I praise God. And I, I thought these people were getting saved because they wanted to follow Jesus. I didn't know they were wanting to follow me. I'm pretty naive. See? In January of 91, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me and said, now, you got to understand that my, the pendulum for me was out here. And so he spoke to me out here, knowing that the real situation was in the middle, but he knew I wasn't going to move if he gave me middle to come back to. So he said to me, my people are not an army, they're a flock. And I'm thinking to myself, you're kidding. How are we going to accomplish this mission with a flock? They can't even protect themselves. Sheep can't even protect themselves. If they fall down, they got to have somebody help them pick up, get up. But okay. And my whole preaching shifted. And from January of 91 through the end of May of 91... Without intending to do so, I preached knowing Jesus and having relationship with Jesus every service for almost five months. It had a wonderful effect because 15 key leadership people all left the church. 
Because what I just did was say that they didn't know God, and they didn't. They were there very devotedly following me, but I thought it was Jesus they were following. I was so naive. And they just started leaving because everything they built their relationship with this church on in five months, I just completely eliminated its validity. I didn't do that. I'm just here and repeating. The Lord's speaking to me. And I'm preaching. And this is, this is good stuff. This is changing my life. It's changing my focus. It's changing every, the way I look at everything. I'm not trying to run anybody off. I'm excited about this. The Lord wants us to know Him. The Lord wants us to have a relationship with Him. Because up until that time, we just had a relationship with each other. He was just kind of the reason for the season kind of thing. You know what I'm talking about? I didn't realize that then. But as we got into, as he led me into this relationship preaching, that's really what it turned out to be. Well, all those folks that had spent all those years not even knowing him, they they decided not to even try. Good people. I'm talking about people, some of whom have been with us from almost the beginning. Good people, people I love, people that love me. But they felt betrayed by my preaching. And they left. And for the most part, none of them have ever come back. Yet. But that's since been ninety one. Well, here it is. Hosea six and one. Come and let us return, and the Hebrews turn back to. Come, let us return unto the Lord. Ready? Ooh, the carnal mind has a real problem with what's about to be said. For he hath torn, and he will heal us. He hath smitten, and he will bind us up. After two days will he revive us. In the third day he will raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. Then shall we know, listen, then shall we know, if we follow on to know the Lord, His going forth is as prepared as the morning or as certain as the morning. And he shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain to the earth. Now, I don't know what you call a manifestation of God. Well, the miraculous, really. So, Moses threw his rod down. It turned into a serpent. And Pharaoh's magic men threw their rod down. They became serpents. So you think that only God can do the supernatural? 
Satan is a spirit. He's not an almighty, omnipotent spirit. But he's not human either. So is that what proves that God is manifesting himself? Or is it supernaturally transformed lives where people go from no peace to peace, no joy to no joy, emptiness to fullness, purposelessness to purposefulness, direction, no confusion, true happiness and contentment without needing anything artificial. See, the world is seeking pleasure. And they think if they can have enough pleasure, and the Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season, but pleasure and happiness are not the same thing. Now, the world has to lie to itself and tell itself that if it's having pleasure, it's happy. Then why would they, why don't they kill themselves at such a rate? I mean, the papers here are full about all the overdoses on drugs. Well, why would you, how, how do you do an overdose? People aren't ignorant. They know that other people are dying using this same drug. They also know there's a limited amount they can use. Then why would I be tempted to use more than is safe for me to use? Because the amount I'm using is not doing what it used to do. i got to have more. And I keep falling into the trap until I kill myself with it. I doubt very seriously that one in a hundred overdoses is purposeful. But pleasure is equated with happiness. And that's a lie. Nothing. Paul said, you are our epistle, known and read of all men. Nothing manifests the glory of God like a changed life. Nothing. No amount of demonstration that we call Pentecostal demonstration, even though most of the instruction on how to do it is in the book of Psalms. Pre-Holy Ghost. No amount of demonstration glorifies God like a transformed life. The greatest sermons ever preached don't glorify God unless they result in transformed lives. You can put this one on the screen if you don't mind. In fact, I'm just going to read this one here before I transition to the next area. John chapter 15 verse 1. Now, this is a different setting. This isn't talking about grain harvest. This is talking about grape harvest. And God changes metaphor to change the focus. Because when he talks about the wheat harvest, the focus is not us. The focus is reaching the world. But when he focuses on the, the vine and the grape harvest, he's focusing on what's happening through and with each one of us individually. I am the true vine. My father's the husbandman. 
Next verse. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Oh, brother, right now, this is speaking of the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, that's the way, that's the principle of fruit. So if I take this fruit off the end of the branch, and it's the fruit of the Spirit, then I can plant it and grow more Spirit. Because that's the principle of seed. The fruit is actually the seed and its nourishment to grow when planted. So if I plant a grape, what am I going to get? Another vine and more branches. So it's not the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, the Spirit produces it through us. But that's not what's produced on the end of the branch. It's grapes that will produce more branches on a new vine. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he... What's he do? No, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it, he prunes it, that it may bring forth more fruit. That means... The more fruitful you are, the more you can count on stuff coming in your life that's going to cut things off from you. Oh, I want to get so close with God, I don't ever experience any more pain, no more disappointments, no more difficulties. Well, the only way to do that is not be fruit-bearing, and you don't have to worry about all that because you get cut once when you're severed from the vine. Of course... It's only a matter of time till there's enough piled up to have a fire. Next verse. Now you're clean. This is the root word of purge. Now you're clean through the word which I've spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I'm a soul winner. You sure are. The Pharisees did the same thing. They went out back in converts and made them twofold more the child of hell than you are. Because if there's any really fruit, real fruit God claims, the branch didn't do it. It was just the conduit for it. Abide in me. So the concern that the branch has is to make sure the connection with the vine is healthy. It's all about relationship. And if my relationship with God is what it ought to be, I have a connection where I can have, I can be a conduit for life flowing through me. And the proof of the health of this connection is the fruit out here. No fruit out here, something wrong with this connection. Right connection, healthy connection here, fruit out here. That's so simple that you got to get really educated enough to tell yourself it's not what it means.
Abide in me and I and you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine no more can ye except ye abide in me. Next verse. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him the same bringeth forth. Selah. You're waiting on me to read it. But you've already read it, haven't you? If I'm abiding in the vine, what's going, what's going to happen? God's going to produce much fruit through me. I could just see it now. One of the vines, one of the branches said in the vine, uh, I'm really sorry, uh, sir, but it's not my gifting to produce fruit. My gifting is just to grow leaves and look pretty. Uh, which pile would you like to be in? Because this isn't about gifting. This is about relationship. And the fruit is not something you're earning. It's fruit because it's produced. But it's not produced by the branch. It's produced by the life that flows up through that vine and flows through the branch. The branch is just a conduit. All the fruit proves is that the branch has a healthy relationship with the vine. The branch isn't earning it, not producing it, not deserving it. It's just proving it's healthy. For without me, you can do nothing. Do you know how much nothing that we have done our best to call something We have come up with all kind of ways to try to label nothing as something. Ooh, boy, I felt that go through here. My, 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 my. <laughs> Jesus' name. You can label nothing something all you want. But the one who spoke all of this didn't change the labels just because you decided to. Because here's the problem. I keep reading verse 6. Here's the problem. Ready? I, if any man, if a man abide not in me and is cast, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Next verse. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Oh, then I can ask God for anything I want. No, 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 no. The context is here about fruitfulness. And the next verse proves that. Here it is. You ready? Herein, or by this, all that's talked about here, in chapter 15 so far. Herein is my father glorified. Let's praise and glorify God. Hallelujah. We're glorifying God. 
We haven't seen anybody saved in decades, but we're glorifying God because we make enough noise. And the book says, herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. Oh, oh, whoa, whoa, it didn't stop there. Whew, it would have been nice if it had stopped there, but it gets worse. So shall you be my disciples. So let's back it up. If I'm going to be his disciple, I got to bear much fruit. And if I bear much fruit, he's glorified. And if I'm bearing fruit and he's glorified, it proves I abide in him and he abides in me. And we have a relationship that's spiritually healthy. You can understand why these are not the favorite verses for most pastors to preach about. Can't you? Can't you understand that? It's kind of hard to maintain your crowd teaching this. Because the religious who have no intention of being truly committed to Jesus aren't sitting around if you teach this stuff very much. Because it is too simple and glaring to deny. Okay, that's enough of that. All right. I do need to read. I want to read one more thing if I could. I'm going to go to Deuteronomy 11, verse 7, if you don't mind. I love these verses. I love these. I love all of it. But this is really good stuff in this context. You ready? But your eyes... Have seen all, this is Deuteronomy 11, 7. But your eyes have seen all the great acts of the Lord which he did. Therefore shall ye keep all the commandments which I command you this day, that ye may be strong and go in and possess the land whither ye go to possess it. And that ye may prolong your days in the land which the Lord, your Lord swear unto your fathers to give unto them and to their seed. A land that floweth with milk and honey. For the land whither thou goest in to possess it, is not as the land of Egypt from whence you came out, where thou sowedest thy seed and waterest it with thy foot as a garden of herbs. In other words, in Egypt, they grow their crops by ir- irrigation. I almost said irritation. There are some churches that grow by irritation because they got to do something to shut the preacher up, get him off our back. But he compares, he compares churches. One type of church, it's all about what man does to water it, bypassing God. Bypassing the need to repent, bypassing faith, bypassing commitment, bypassing submission, bypassing discipleship. The Lord said, I brought you out of that, and I'm taking you into a different kind of land. Uh huh. Listen to this. Uh, for the land whither thou, this is verse 10. No, no, verse 9. Hmm, I missed it. 
Verse 10. For the land whither thou goest to possess it is not as the land of Egypt from which ye came out, where thou sowedest thy seed and waterest it with thy foot as a garden of herbs. But the land whither you go to possess it is a land of hills and valleys and drinketh water of the rain of heaven. A land which the Lord thy God careth for. The eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it. From the beginning of the year, even unto the end of the year. And it shall come to pass, if you shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God, and serve Him with all your heart, with all your soul, that I will give you the rain of your land in His due season. The first rain and the latter rain, that thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thy oil, and I will send grass, and wheat is considered a grass. I study, I found that, I I hadn't thought of it like that. But the Bible talks about the grass that's in the field one day and tomorrow it's in the oven. Now what we call grass, I can't imagine doing that with it. I'm not willing to go out after the lawn is mowed and collect up the shavings and put it in the oven. So this is talking about something different than what we call it. Because grains are grasses. And I will send grass in thy fields for thy cattle that thou, thou mayest eat and be full. Now, oh, that's wonderful. It sounds really good. And what I, what my part with all of that is, your part with all of that is, is that we seek God for a place of true repentance. Where we're not just confessing for sins we've done and dealing with our past. But repentance deals with my present and my future. Because it's a change of mind. It's a change of direction. Repentance is change. Confessing, the Lord can forgive me through confession. But that's only taking care of my past. John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Great, wonderful, my past is taken care of. But what's going to change me now? And what's going to make me different tomorrow? Because otherwise, all I will ever do is, is live a life of constant confession. And I'll never change. So as we taught last night, in real revival, there is a depth of forgiving all your grudges and repenting of all your sins. And as I said today, not just your sins of commission, which is all we want to label as sin, but the sins of most believers really aren't things they do they shouldn't do. It's the things the Word of God teaches us to do that they don't do. He that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not to him in his sin. But you've got to go to the Bible to find out what that definition of good is. Is it good to trust God with your whole life? Is it good to walk in His Word? Is it good to fellowship with Him every day? Is it good to be a partner with Him in His plan and purpose and kingdom in the earth? Is all of that good? Yes, that's His good. Because the world has one definition of good, and God's got a completely different definition of good. And yet the Scripture says there's none good but one, and that's God. That means everybody that's calling stuff good that's not directly connected from God, with God, came from God, it's a lie. 
You can call something good all you want. Now have this affliction. I got low blood pressure. My blood sugar's on the very low side of normal. My triglycerides, my cholesterol, it's all so healthy. Do I look healthy to you? Not if you listen to most people. But the baffling thing is the tests say I'm healthy. So the bottom line is this. People want to tell me how bad it is for me to eat eat ding-dongs and cookies and chocolate ice cream. Now that may be bad for you. But it's not affecting my health. You're setting a bad example. Okay, we'll all go eat healthy after this. We'll go get us a Whopper, which is all five food groups in your hand. That's healthy. It's a fully balanced meal, and you can hold it in one hand. Grain, meat, dairy, vegetable, and fruit right there. As long as you get cheese and you keep the lettuce and tomato on it, you've got all five food groups. And, of course, some of you, you eat that nasty-tasting dark chocolate. I, I like the enriched chocolate with calcium. It's enriched with calcium, and we all need calcium. And milk chocolate is dark chocolate enriched with calcium. See, you can make this all out to be whatever you want to, but you eat your way, I'll eat mine. And when Jesus and the doctor says, I need to change how I eat, I'll listen to them. I'm not listening to you. Okay? Of course, some people go around like a prune because they're, what they're eating is so horrible. What are you doing that for? So I can live in a nursing home an extra five years. Enjoy yourself. Because we all know there's some of the nicest places in the world to, to live. If you can afford the right ones. Most people can't. So here we are. So God's plan for his church as a body is to participate with him. In the field. Let's go to uh, John chapter 4 verse 14. I'm going to read that first please. And uh, I'm going to read down quickly if you would. I don't have that written out so you'll have to stay with me. You keep turning I'll tell you to stop and go back. Jesus said to the woman at the well, Whosoever drinketh the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up unto everlasting life. But the woman saith unto him, Sir, give me the wa- this water that, that, that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, I said, Well, I have no husband. Thou hast had five husbands, and he who now thou see that's not new. There's nothing new under the sun. 
Thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, because you decided to get married and them die, so you just decided to live with this, and maybe he'd live. Right? Not God's word, of course. Thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, in that saidest thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. <laughs> Good call, lady. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall, when you shall neither in this mountain nor at, yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Uh, wait, wait, wait. If there are, if there aren't false worshipers, then we don't need the adjective true. If it's not possible to be a false worshiper, just worshipers, then the adjective true is not only superfluous, it's misleading. When the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. Next verse. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Next verse. The woman saith to him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Now this is amazing to me. All the people that asked him this question, and he wouldn't answer. And to this Samaritan, non-full-blooded Jew, he says, I that speak unto thee am he. Wow. Next verse. And upon this came his disciples, and marveled that he talked with a woman. She was a Samaritan. The Jews don't have any dealings with the Samaritans. Because she so ably reminded Jesus of that in the beginning of that chapter. What are you doing talking to me? I'm a Samaritan. Jews don't have any deal with Samaritans. If he said, you're a Samaritan, I can't talk to you, she'd be offended. because. But he was talking to her, and he wasn't supposed to be talking to her. So he, she was trying to remind him of what prejudices he was supposed to have. Because he wasn't acting right from her culture. And upon this came the disciples of Marvel, that he talked with the woman, yet no man said, what speakest thou, or why talkest thou with her? Next verse. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. Listen carefully now. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Next verse. Therefore, that's a conjunction that what's about to be said is based on what's already been said. Therefore, said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. What? Work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the, then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they're white already to harvest. Now wait a minute. 
Jesus says, you guys went to get meat, but you didn't get it. I sent you away because you wouldn't have let me talk to this woman without interfering. Proven by the fact you asked me this question, what are you doing talking to her when you got back? So you bring me food and I turn it down and you want to know what I got to eat. But you don't understand. That which nourishes my soul is something you don't understand. That which nourishes my soul is doing the will of my Father. Ready? And finishing His work. Because my relationship with my Father is fed by my involvement with His will and His work. Not by religion. Not by all the stuff religion expects. But my soul is fed by my relationship with my Father, doing the will of my Father, and finishing my Father's work that He sent me to do. What is my Father's work? It's harvest time. The will of the Father is... The work of the harvest. And to those who are involved by faith, vision, passion, and not out of obligation, it's the nourishment of your soul because it's an opportunity to be a partner, fellow laborer with the Lord Jesus Christ. In that which he gave his life for. And the religious give no credence to that. Put no value on that. But to those who truly know Jesus. It's everything to them. Everything. They don't put that ahead of Jesus. But they understand it's how they can be closest to Jesus. Because if you're going to have a real close relationship with Jesus it's going to be in the field not in the barn because he came to seek and save the lost and the lost don't live in the barn the church house the lost live in the field and if you want to get to know Jesus and you want to be a part of Jesus you're going to get to know Jesus in the field Involved with the will of the Father. Involved with the Father's work. Which is the harvest. Is this the plan of God? 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 5. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted. Apollos watered. But God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything. Neither he that watereth. But God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers 
together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. And that word can either refer to the farm or to the workers on the farm. He is the husbandman. We are laborers together with him, which makes us partners with him in his labors on his farm. We are the Lord's husbandry. Does that describe the average church today? Does that describe the focus of the average church today? No, it doesn't. Does that describe the prayers prayed by the average Christian today? No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Because our focus rarely even remotely resembles his focus. Why? Because religious tradition has imprisoned us and blinded our minds so that we cannot see. That's what the Bible says about unfaithful husbandmen. Since he's the husbandman and we are his fellow laborers in husbandry. Proverbs twenty four thirty, I went by the field of the slothful. And by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles had covered the face thereof. And the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that travaileth thy want as an armed man. Because nothing puts people to sleep like religion and religious tradition. Nothing. Proverbs 20 and 4. The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. Therefore shall he beg in harvest and have nothing. You hear the word of the Lord. There is a change coming in the body of Christ. All over this world, there's a change coming. And those that are responsive to the Word of God and the Spirit of God, they're changing their focus. They're trying to get in tune and aligned with Jesus and how He does things. And they want to participate with Him rather than trying to talk Him into participating with them. Not the same thing. And I say that again. The world... Church world tries to get God to participate with them. But there are people who are hungry for God, desire God, want to be a part of God, want to know God. And they've submitted themselves to the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And they're letting God change their thinking and change their priorities and bring them into alignment with Him. And it is a process. It is not an instantaneous trip out of the darkness and the bondage of tradition and into the full light of the truth. It is a process. I wish it were not so, but it is so. But the first step out of darkness and bondage 
is to acknowledge that where you are is not okay with God. That it's not biblical and it's not okay with God and to continue to stay there now that I'm beginning to see that it's not biblical and not okay with God takes me out of light into darkness. First John, First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 9. For there's written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox, the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, that this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope. And he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of the hope. How do I get there? Hosea 10 and 12. Sow to yourselves in righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up, plow your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord till He come and rain righteousness on you. So, this is another one of those verses that the order is actually from the end to the beginning. You seek the Lord till He come and rain righteousness that you can plow so that you can sow in righteousness. So the Lord who calls those things that are not as though they were in the end of the thing for the beginning, he starts at the end and works back to the starting point. And he does that to emphasize the starting point. Because there's no nothing to plow if there's no rain. And there's no rain until I'm revived. What's the purpose of plowing? Jeremiah 4 verse 3. For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. Thorns. I've heard of sowing among thorns someplace. Oh, Matthew 13. Listen to this. Matthew 13, verse 3. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, the fowls came and devoured them up. And some fell among stony, stony grounds where they had not much earth. And forthwith they sprung up and because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns sprung up and choked them. But others fell on good, into good ground and brought forth fruit. Some a hundredfold and some sixty and some thirty. And so what we want to do, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. What are we supposed to be hearing? Because the word of God is a whole. You can't take parts of the Word of God and dismiss or, or, or ignore the rest. And Jeremiah 4 and 3 says to break up your fallow ground so that you're not sowing among thorns. And so if the sower sowed on thorny ground, he sowed on unplowed ground. And if he sowed on stony ground, he, sto- he sowed on unplowed ground. If you ever been to New England, driven through the countrysides and see all the stone walls around the fences, ninth and tenth grade year of high school, I lived in New England, Rhode Island. And I asked some natives one day, 
why are there so many stone walls? And I'm thinking, at that age, boy, that's pretty expensive. I don't know where they got all their stones. But that had to be expensive. You could, you could build fences a lot cheaper than that. And they kind of looked at me with a duh moment and said, well, the ground was so full of stones that the only way we could grow crops, we had to plow and dig and get all the stones up before we sowed. And there was not, it was too expensive to haul them off. So we just piled them around the edges of our property and they became fences because stony ground is not profitable and not fertile ground. So, my friend, the problem is this. The reason only one out of four ground types of ground was productive is because it was the only part of the ground that had been plowed. Because plowed ground is not, or good ground, is not better than other ground. It's prepared ground. And so in our Spiritual complacency and religious blindness. If we do sow seed, we sow it on unprepared soil and damn some people to be lost. Because they get the word, but nothing was done to prepare them to receive the word. Now, wayside ground, wayside is the, the pathways through the fields that have been trampled on and packed down. Wayside ground was far harder than fallow ground. Fallow ground is ground that it has produced in the past, but from the, about the middle of June through the end of September, middle of October, it has lain unused under the sun and there's been no rain. And the, there's a scripture that I'm not using, but I've got it in my other notes. It's, it, it talks about the clods fusing together as they lay there and they become like concrete. Fallow grounds like concrete. There's a slab here that used to be a church building till a snowstorm in 03. I tell you what, right now, you could take a bag of good seed and go out there and spread it all over that slab. A few seeds might find cracks and might work their way with water down into soil that is somewhere right between those cracks. And a few are going to grow, but most are just going to lay there. And they can't germinate because concrete can't grow crops. But the birds are going to have a feast. All because somebody didn't want to plow because it was work. Well, only one-fourth of the ground is good ground. So we'll sow our seed. Not our fault. Only one-fourth produces a crop. Not our fault at all. We just just don't plow. 
Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two by two, two and two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would come. Now get this. He'd already sent out the 12 in teams, in six teams of two. But now there were 70 more disciples that he had trained. And he set them out as 35 teams of two by two. And where did he send these 82 laborers? He sent them to the places where he himself would come to prepare his way. What did that make them? Plowers. Thank you. That made them plowers. Well, how do I know that? (laughs) Let's read one more time. Verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others, 70 also, and sent them two two before his face into every city and place, whether he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, the harvest truly is... He went straight from sending them before his face to the harvest. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. What did he just do? He just sent forth 70. He just demonstrated what that means. Well, let's see if there's any more clues here. If we go back up a few verses before Luke 10, 1, and start reading with Luke 9, 59. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go bury my father. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury the dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but first let me go and bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom. Is there anybody here with their hand on the plow? Is there anybody here that's been sent out to plow to prepare the way of the Lord? You know what this verse, verses 1 and 2 that follow this? So we go from that verse. So let's just see the context, okay? No man having, no, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the king. The next verse. After these things, the Lord appointed other seventy also, sent them two by two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would go. Therefore, therefore is a conjunction that connects everything that's just been said with what's about to be said. What's about to be said is based upon what's just been said. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray you therefore the Lord of harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. What this proves is, he's not just talking sin about sending people out to reap. He's talking about sending laborers out to do whatever the season is that's necessary to do to prepare to have a crop. Whether it's to plow or sow or reap. The season dictates which one of those we're supposed to be doing. But sending forth laborers 
Is it just the sentiment of the harvest? Because he calls the end of the thing before the beginning. He calls those things that are not as though they were. And so he, when he sends them forth, he didn't even say, I'm going to send you into the field because that might imply it may work or it may not work. But he sent them forth in the harvest, which is a guarantee because the harvest is plenteous. The only problem is getting people to go work the field. I'm guaranteeing a harvest if I could just get somebody to go work the field. And this context proves that working the field isn't just sowing seed. It's plowing. Excuse me, not just reaping the crop. It's plowing. And after plowing is done, it's sowing. Then finally will come the harvest, the reaping. All of that is part of being laborers in his harvest. Listen to Luke 8 verse 10. Or 10 verse 8. Now, the question is, how did they plow? Those that he sent out, how did he plow? How did they plow? Okay? Luke 10 verse 8. And, and he's saying to them, and into whatsoever city you enter, and they receive you, eat such things that are set before you, and heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. How did the kingdom of God come nigh unto them? Matthew 12, 28. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. So they went forth with a supernatural manifestation and demonstration of the kingdom of God, the authority and the power of the kingdom of God. And they, they went forth plowing. It was supernatural what they did. How do I know that? I keep reading now in Luke chapter 10 verse 17. And the 70 returned again with joy saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Verse 19, behold, I give you power, which is the Greek word authority. To tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall be any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you but rather rejoice because your names are written in, in heaven. In that hour Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said I thank thee O Father Lord of heaven and earth that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes even so Father for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered of, to me of my Father. And no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. And he turned to the disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that ye see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see these things which ye see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear and not hear them. What sets you apart from everybody else? It's not your qualifications, your education, your sterling character or personality. What sets you apart is you have spiritual eyes that see, spiritual ears that hear, and a spiritual heart that perceives. And their eyes don't hear, see, their ears don't hear, and their heart doesn't perceive. Why? Because he's no respecter of persons. And people don't find him by their intellect, by their money, by the color of their skin. Or by the neighborhood they live in.
Luke eleven fourteen, And he was casting out a devil and it was dumb. And it came to pass. Dumb doesn't mean it was stupid. Dumb means it didn't speak. And it came to pass when the devil was gone out. The dumb spake and the people wondered. But some of them said, he casted out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. And others tempting him sought of him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. A house divided against a house falleth. If Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because ye say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub. But if I, Beelzebub, if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. But I, if I, with the finger of God, and that's the parallel passage to Matthew twelve twenty eight that says, if I, by the Spirit of God, cast out devils, and, and Jesus said in this context, a different situation, different place, if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come unto you. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divideth his spoils. He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth. So the way to put yourself at odds with Jesus is not by what you do that's at odds with him. It's the fact that you don't do what he does. Hello? Hello? He that is not with me is against me. Even if he thinks he's not against me, he's just not with me. And not being with me, I consider equal to not being with me, therefore against me. And he that's not gathering with me, he may not be scattering in his mind, but if he's not actively doing what I'm doing, which is gathering, I equate him the same as if he's actually scattering. Here it is again. Here it is again. This this problem I've got, it's, it's a problem. It's obviously a problem because the way some of you react to it, that I, I just believe what it says. Even if I'm not doing what it says right now, I confess, I speak in agreement with, yes, Lord, that's what your word says. Here I am. I can't get me in alignment with your word, but I submit myself to you. Whatever you need to do, whatever you have to work in my life, get me in alignment with you. Because according to your word, I am not in alignment with you. In Jesus' name. Let's just pray that for a moment. In your own words, if you choose. Let's just pray that for a moment. Father, here I am. I want to be in alignment with you. I don't want to debate with you with your word. Lord, I want to take your word at face value. I want to read your word. I want to see your word. I want to hear your word. I want to perceive, receive, and believe your word. And then and then cast myself upon your mercy and grace. That by your mercy and grace, you will work in me and bring me into alignment with your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.
In the name of Jesus. I'm almost done with this part. And I'm right on schedule. I, I don't know. How, I was going to be really happy if I could be done, by, done with this by nine before we went on to something else. <clears throat> before we go on to something else. And so here it is. Why must we plow? Because being lost, quote unquote, is a spiritual or supernatural problem. It's not a natural or intellectual or even a moral problem. Hello? Because the world doesn't see it like that and most churches don't, then a good moral atheist sees himself as good as the people going to church and he thinks we're so judgmental if we believe that he needs to give himself to the Lord. I don't need to do I'm just as good a person as you are. Because we see lostness from a moral standpoint, from an intellectual standpoint, from a societal standpoint. We don't look at it from God's perspective. We don't look at it from God's perspective. So what is it that causes a person to be lost? 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 3. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servant for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So it's not a question of us and who we are compared to those that, uh, who, those who desire to be saved are compared to those that could care less or want to be saved on their terms only. It's a question of, are you open to seeing light, or are you not open to seeing light? The New Living Translation says of verses 3 and 4, if the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the god of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. But it gets even more close to home. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Being lost is a spiritual condition. 
being saved? Is it converting to a church? It's not becoming religious. It's not following religious rules and obligations. It's coming out of darkness into light. It's coming out of bondage into being delivered into liberty. The Amplified says it this way. And it's a little bit difficult reading and it's going to take up more time than I really want to give to it, but you need to hear it. The Amplified says, and you, this is Ephesians 2.1, you he made alive when you were dead, slain by your trespasses and sins, in which at one time you walked habitually. You were following the course and fashion of this world, were under the sway of the tendencies of this present age, following the prince of the power of the air. You were obedient to and under the control of the demon spirit that still constantly works in the sons of disobedience, disobedience, the careless, the rebellious, and the unbelieving who go against the purposes of God. Among these, we as well as you once lived and conducted ourselves in the passions of our flesh, our behavior governed by our corrupt and sensual nature, obeying the impulses of theory, flesh, and the thoughts of the mind, our cravings dictated by our senses and by our dark imaginings. We were then by nature children of God's wrath and heirs of his indignation like the rest of mankind. And one more. Translation for emphasis. We expand your translation in the New Testament. And you were being dead, and you being dead with reference to your trespasses and sins. He made alive in the spirit of which, in the spirit of which trespasses and sins at one time, you ordered your behavior as dominated by the spirit of the age in this world system. As dominated by the leader of the authority of the lower atmosphere. The source also of the spirit that is now operating in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we were, we all ordered our behavior in the sphere of the cravings of our evil nature, continually practicing the desires of our evil nature and of our thoughts, and we're continually children of wrath by nature, as also the rest. So you think you can learn your doctrine so well that you can, you can convert somebody through intellect and reasoning and your doctrine out of this condition? I feel like cussing right now. Not like you think. You ready? I'm about to cuss. The religious are fools. They are ignorant, empty-headed, empty-hearted fools who think that they can convert somebody by their intellect and their programs and their nice structure and their entertainment. They're ignorant, blind fools denying the very Lord God that died for them. That's cussing. And I meant every word of it. God have mercy. Where's the blood today? Don't nail scarred hands and nail scarred feet and 
a back that's plowed, looks like it's a plowed field and a face that's been rearranged by soldiers' fists for an hour. Doesn't that count for anything today? Doesn't have that have anything to do with who we are and what we do and what our message is? That's why Paul said, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. But God doesn't want us to live in the foolishness of our religion. God wants us to be set free. He wants us to be set free the second time. We were set free the first time out of sin into into what we thought was God, but it turned out to be religion. Now he wants to take us out of religion into fullness of life, into fullness of relationship with him. Preacher, you're, you're, you're being so offensive. Huh. If you think this is offensive, how offensive is it for people that he died for, gave his life for, offers himself to, to substitute for him with all the religious mumbo-jumbo today? How offensive is that to God? You want to talk about offensive? You want to call something offensive? Oh, the Bible doesn't say that. Oh, really? Let me just quote it as quick as I can here. Jeremiah 2, the Lord says, My people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And in that same chapter, as I quoted today, he said, my people have forgotten me days without number. You want to talk about offensive? Offensive? Two sins. The first one, they've forsaken me, the source of life, the source of living water. I have put my well within them to spring up unto everlasting life. And they've let crud fill up their well so it doesn't work. And they've gone back to the vomit that they vomited. And they've gone back to the wallowing in the mire like the sow. And they substituted all of that for me when I gave everything of myself to them and I gave them truth. You say, that doesn't happen. Then why did Paul say in Galatians, Oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? He called them foolish. So you think I, my language is strong? I'm quoting book. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has blinded your minds with a spirit of, of, of deception? Who have you allowed to deceive you? Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? He said, I got this question for you. Received you the spirit. By faith or by the works of the flesh? Oh, I know. Every religious bone in here is done. I'm sorry. Why 
don't know what I'm sorry for, but I feel bad for you. I just. One more verse or a couple of more verses here. Ephesians 4 verse 17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth forth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind having the understanding darkened being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling have given themselves over under lasciviousness to work all uncleanness and greediness. You know the, you know the shocking thing here is that the Holy Ghost would even have to speak through the man of God to say something like this to the church of the living God. Why would God have to say something like that to us? Here's the explanation of the parable of the sower. Matthew 13, 18. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone, ready? Heareth the word of the kingdom. And understandeth it not. Because they don't have eyes that can see and ears that can hear. And they don't have a heart that can perceive. Then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. But he that received seed in stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it, yet hath not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth, because of the word, by and by he's offended. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word. And the care of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word and becometh unfruitful. But he that receiveth the word, he that received seed into the good ground is he that Heareth the word. All four groups heard the word. And Bible called that sowing. That's not church service invitation evangelism. The sower was in the field. And that sowing was the people were hearing the word. In the field. Not in the barn. In the field. And all four types of ground were hearing the word in the field. Not in the barn. Oh, Jesus. So here we are. What is, what is plowing? And I'll skip this and just summarize it. 
because I'll have to teach some more on it probably tomorrow just to, because that's what the Lord's doing here. He is giving two and three witnesses because he's so desperate for you to get this, which I, I just totally missed. That was going to be his approach. I missed it. I thought I could fly through all this and cover all of it one time. And he said, oh, no, no. I can't hold people accountable for something that I don't make sure they've heard a couple of different ways. Because hold them accountable. I am. So, what is plowing? What is plowing? Plowing is some kind of supernatural act because the problem with the lost, to be able to receive the word, they need something to be done to overcome the resistance that's in them to the word. It's blindness. It's a spirit of disobedience from the prince of the power of the air, the God of this world, prince of the power of the air. Somehow that spirit that is working in them, resisting the word, has to be defeated. That's called plowing before the sowing. I'm defeating the resistance. I'm breaking up the resistance of this hardened ground. Whatever's causing this hardness, this resistance, I'm, get this, the brown, ground doesn't break up itself. So it's not talking about repentance. Whatever plowing is, is something that the ground simply is affected by, done by somebody else other than who the ground represents. Somebody labors in the field where the ground is and does something to break up the resistance of the ground to the seed. How many frustrating hours have sincere people spent in the field trying to sow seed on ground that has never been plowed? And the devil wins two ways. Nobody receives the word about Jesus. And the laborers get so discouraged and weary that they quit because this doesn't work. So we repent. And when we are truly revived, God blesses with the early rain which rains on us I thought it rained on the ground. Oh, yes, because our God is so good. Are you ready? Our God is so good that the rain falls on thee. Just and unjust alike. So if I, if I allow the Holy Ghost to revive me and God reigns, it doesn't just rain on me. It rains on the unjust too. Did you feel that? It rains on them too. And the blessings of God that falls on us because we repent 
falls on the unjust because God is such a God of mercy and love. And we can affect what happens with the unjust but by just simply giving ourselves to Jesus. Just giving ourselves to Jesus. Just just repenting and forgiving of all of our grudges and and, and giving ourselves over to his will. And, and he responds to that by raining on us. But he doesn't rain just where we are. The rain falls on the just and unjust alike. And that rain falls on that fallow ground. And the blessings that come to us becomes that which softens the fallow ground to make it possible to break it up. To break up the resistance to the seed. And what is that? That, my friend, we have called in another time and a place warfare intercession. Exercising the authority of the kingdom by using the king, keys of the kingdom in your language and letting the spirit pray through us supernaturally, spirit against spirit, breaking the power of the spirit of blindness and the influence of the spirit of disobedience and allowing the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God to begin to soak into these lives so that when the word comes, it finds a receptive place so that a crop can be raised so the Father can be glorified by the harvest. Now, I'm not sure standing here at this point how far, how far the Lord wants to take this tonight. But I am asking, and I believe this is the Holy Ghost, and that terminology is the Lord. I mean, Paul did it. He said, I... I I believe this is the Lord, not me. Okay? He did that. He didn't always say, thus saith the Lord. He said, that's what I'm going to ask you to do. I, I, I believe this is the Lord. So I believe this is the Lord. I am asking for you to join together with the people, if you, if there's any people here, that you fellowship with in a Sunday gathering. And I'm asking for you to join together and plow. Your area. We're not going to pray a general plowing prayer. And if you're wherever you are listening, and there's more than one of you, do not do this by yourself. If there's more than one of you, then you join together wherever you are right now and you pray plowing prayer for your area. We're not going to pray for the world. We're going to pray for the areas that we are responsible for. And since we have the largest groups here, if we can take Antioch Central over here, and we'll take Antioch West in the back over there, and Antioch North, if you're here, we'll come in this corner. The others of you, if you will gather wherever you can with whoever's here, as long as there are two of you, you can pray for your area. 
If you're here by yourself, do not pray by yourself. There are other people here that are alone for their area and they can, that you can join together to pray. But do not, do not pray by yourself. And don't sit here by yourself. If you need to leave, God bless you. It's okay. Do not sit here and not pray. It is 9 o'clock, 9.10 almost. You are more than welcome to leave. It's okay. It's all right. I'll see you in the morning at 10 o'clock. Do not. Hear me. Do not. Stay in this building, this auditorium, by yourself and not pray. Do not. I'm saying that for your protection, for your benefit. Okay? So, if you have a connection with someone, there needs to be at least two. Let's do it this way. If you're here by yourself and nobody else from your area is here, I want you right here in front of this pulpit. Those of you that are here individual, you are here by yourself and there's nobody here from your area but you. You guys are together. You're going to need to back up here from Missouri if you don't mind so I can have room here. If you're here with another person and you that you go to church with, you don't belong here. You and that person can pray together. As long as there's two of you praying, that's fine. As long as there's two. Brother Schoonover, why don't you take your guys back to the door area right there so that you guys can have some room. All right? All right? Okay. Two. No less than two. If you are here by yourself, you're the only person here from your area, I want you to pray. Now, you guys don't have to be in the same church to pray. You're all from southeast Missouri. You pray together in southeast Missouri, all right? But if you're, you're the only person from your area here by yourself, I want you here praying, and you can join together and pray, okay? Uh, I, and I'd like for us to join hands if you're comfortable doing that. Men prefer to put hands on shoulders, whatever you're doing. I'd like for us to do that, all right? We're going to begin to pray. The Spirit is going to begin to move. When the Spirit begins to move, allow the Spirit to take you into intercession. Allow the Spirit to take you into intercession. Come on. I want you to see it. I want you to feel it. You're plowing. You're plowing. God is using you to break the resistance, the spiritual resistance to the seed. My God. Woo! Yes! Yes! is doing the work because you're praying in knowledge you're praying in faith in the word 
You're praying in obedience to the word. You're praying in obedience to the word. The Lord is honoring your faith. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Yes. Yes. Come on, the Holy Ghost is doing something here right now. If any two of you agree, as touching anything on earth, you shall have it of your Father which is in heaven. I'll take more than two. But if any two of you agree, as touching anything on earth, you shall have it of our Father which is in heaven. Come on. Come on. The Holy Ghost is plowing. If you're used in intercessory prayer, if you're not already in warfare intercession, it's time to yield to it. Now, if you're used in warfare intercession, and you're not already praying warfare intercession, it's time to pray it. It's time to go deep. It's time to go deep. Set that plow deep. Set it deep. Set it deep. Yes, 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 Woo! my God, my God, my <laughs> In the name of Jesus. 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 Ha. Itahala ratatakahaya. Ikiekala ratatahaya. In the name of Jesus. 
in the name of Jesus. Come on, let the Lord use you. Come on, let the Lord use you. Come on. Come on, break it up over here. Break up that ground of Baltimore. Break it up. Break every resistance to the seed. Good seed, put in good ground. Plowed ground. It's going to put, produce a great harvest. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. My, 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 my. <laughs> Woo! Come on. There's one more real deep push of the Spirit coming. Come on. There's one more real deep push of the Spirit coming. Come on. Come on. The Lord's giving us victory. The Lord is preparing this ground for seed. Yes. Yes. My God. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Ah. Itahala rakatati e kalaratataha. Itayala rakatahaya. Itala rorororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororororor
name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Itaha tatakahaya. Ikahala la tatakataha. Maki tie, maki tie, tasiki etaha. Woo! In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In just a moment, if you participate in this the past, you know what's coming. At the direction of the Holy Ghost, in just a moment, keep praying. We're going to give the command to shout. And we're going to give the shout of faith, the shout of victory. Come on. Come on, just a little bit farther. It's almost time. Let's don't stop praying. Come on. In just a few moments, it's going to be time to give the shout of faith, the shout of victory. In the name of Jesus, my God, my God. In the name of Jesus. In the name of In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Woo! My God. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, shout! In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Ha! Ha! My God. Yes! Yes! Jesus' name. Yes! Hallelujah! 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 In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. <laughs> Woo! Thank you, Father. Come on, let's give him thanks. Let's thank him. Thank you, Father. We honor you, Father. We praise you, Father. 
we glorify you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. <laughs> Thank you, Father. 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 Now, here is the uh, instruction of authority from authority. This is what I've heard. This is what I'm sharing. We start back here in the morning at 10. Some of you have to get up early and go to work. And it's the will of God for you to be back tomorrow night. Unless you're staying to praise or prayer or pray, get your stuff and leave the building. Do not stay here in fellowship. If you want to stand in the parking lot in fellowship, so be it. I'm kind of counting on it being cool enough you won't do that long. Because it's far more important to God that you get some rest and get back here because we're starting exactly at 10 in the morning than it is for you to stand around and laugh and talk with people. Sometimes what we call fellowship is the most contrary thing we can do to spirituality because God does a great work and we talk it away before we can get off the parking lot. And so, if you're going to stay and pray, you're welcome to do so. But if you're not, get your stuff and leave the building. And once you've left the building, what you do is your business. But this is my instruction. This is my instruction. 
Okay? It's the instruction I was given. It's the instruction I'm giving you. God bless you. God bless you.